0: Amen. That last song was a hymn, right? Yeah? No? Is that not a hymn? Does that not count as a hymn? Um, I didn't see my grandma singing, so I I uh, figured it must not be, but we thought it was. It sounded old. Um, and it was very beautiful, right? And didn't use five words. Uh, so that's a sign of a hymn as well. Anyway, uh, I have this friend. His name's Josh Nigley. Not here today. Uh, you know him, and, uh, he's not getting a lot of sleep this week because he is a new dad to writer Keith Nigley. There he is. Isn't that awesome? Uh, yep, yep. That was, uh, the last day when Josh had got a good night's rest, actually. Um, and so he looks happy. Probably doesn't look like that this morning. Um, Josh isn't getting a lot of sleep. Uh, I talked to him and, uh, the crying and the, uh, the changing of the diapers and the waking up so Angela can feed. is all keeping him awake at night. He's averaging three to four hours of sleep. Uh, But when Josh is sleeping, Josh has crazy dreams. Some of you have talked to Josh about this, but Josh has crazy dreams and he always remembers those dreams. And many of them are reoccurring dreams, but there is one dream that Josh has had well over a hundred times, okay? Now, you can psychoanalyze him next week uh, when he comes and you're seeing the baby. But Josh has had this dream over a hundred times. And in the dream, what happens is that Josh will wake up in bed. Now, he isn't, uh, as we might imagine in a dream, scared or or feeling uh, any type of apprehension. He simply just wakes up sweating. And so he, he starts to get out of bed and his body goes limp. And then he falls down and he wakes up back in bed again. Now, uh, this is part of the dream. It's not like the dream wakes him up. He actually, in his dream, wakes back up in bed sweating. And so Josh will try to get out of bed again and he'll fall down again because his body goes limp and he'll wake back up sweating in bed. Now, this has happened up, upwards to ten times in, in a single dream set. And so, uh, all of a sudden, Josh is realized through these dreams that he is dreaming. And he started to try to control them. I mean, if you had had the same dream 500 times or the same set of dream, right? Five times average waking up and falling down by over 100 times of having the dream, then eventually you're going to maybe figure out, whoa, something's not right here. I'm sweating and, and I'm about to fall down. And so Josh has is, is really tried to start to, to take steps And you may say, this is crazy. You may say, well, you can't control any of your dreams. And uh, if if that's you, I have two things. First of all, Google lucid dreaming. That's the technical term for being able to uh, try to control your dreams or recognize that you're in your dreams. And the second thing is go to Disneyland and watch the show Fantasmic. And in it, Mickey defeats the the wicked witch by saying, this is my dream. Just like that right there. Okay. And so, so it is a possibility. And so Josh has, Brynn made me do that. Uh, so anyway, Josh has said in, in these dreams, I, I'm going to try to get as far as I can out of my bed and, and start to walk out of my room and down the hall again. You can wait till next week to psychoanalyze the guy. Uh, but, but he, he tries his best to get as far as he can. And the furthest he ever got, he, he got to Uh, out of his bedroom and into the hall and he could see his back door and, and he lost concentration because his back door was unlocked and he fell down and he woke back up in his bed sweating. We are currently in the middle of an all church concentrated effort to live more like Jesus, the Jesus experiment we're calling it and in this we are trying to align our thoughts, our feelings, our words and our actions with that of Jesus. And last week we talked about Jesus' words in John 15 where he tells us to abide. He says that if we are going to live a life like him, then we must abide in him. And we talked about some of the ins and outs of that. But what is important for us to remember today is that Jesus was basically saying, if you want to live a life like me, then you must be close to me. You must have a loving and faithful and full relationship with me if you are going to live a life like I lived. It's interesting because uh, when we look at this and we think about this need for the connection and the power of Jesus, uh, what we sometimes forget is that Jesus actually recognized his own need for divine power. And so out of that, Jesus was drawn into prayer. What's fascinating to me is that while Jesus recognized his need for divine power, oftentimes we don't recognize our need for divine power. In fact, when we try to live the Christian life, it oftentimes looks a lot like Josh's dream. Uh, We look and, and, and we can see that in many ways, becoming a Christian is a lot like waking up in bed sweating. Many people say or think that becoming a Christian is about some simple prayer that we pray at some point in time, but that's not really the case. Instead, becoming a Christian starts with the recognition of sin. We recognize that we are sinners whose lives do not meet the expectations of God, nor do they align with the character of God. And so we say to ourselves, I am a sinner. I am not perfect. And while many people don't want to to admit this in life, we do recognize, don't we, that justice is a good thing. And so even within ourselves, when we look at our wrongdoings and we see that we are sinners, we say, man, I deserve punishment. And many people will will try to squelch that thought and and while they may feel guilt or whatever, they try to put that guilt aside and they they drink it away or they party it away or they just uh, have fun with it away and, and they try to get rid of that feeling. But for other people, they'll say, hey, I deserve punishment and so I need a savior. And if you come to that realization, then you say, Jesus, I need you. Because you see in the Bible that Jesus died on a cross and rose again to save us from those wrongdoings so that we no longer had to take that punishment nor feel that guilt. And so when we come to Jesus, it is like waking up. It is a newness that that comes into our lives with the removal of guilt and with the removal of sin and we feel fresh. But the, the sweat of sin still is on us, but we are excited to get moving. We want to become more like Jesus. We want to live the, the life that God has called us to live and be the person that we now know that we can be without the slavery of sin and the slavery of death hanging over us. And so we crawl out of bed metaphorically. We crawl out of bed excited to do the things that Jesus wants us to do. But at some point our Christian life goes limp. And we fall down and we wake up right back where we started. Many times people say, well, I'm just going to work harder. I'm going to focus more like Josh does. I'm going to do my best to get as far as I can. And if I, if I just make an intense effort, then I can take another step and I can just get a little bit further this time. And so people people work and they strive to live the lives that God has called them to, to be the people that God wants them to be, to be a person that reflects the character of Jesus. But what happens is just one step forward, one fall down, and two steps back. By the grace of God, we don't end up back in bed in need of a Savior, but we never move forward. And the sad reality is that most Christians will spend their Christian lives striving in this way, they will strive and they will fall and they will go backwards and they never will get to the back door and they never will get outside where, where God has abundant life waiting for them. They will, get, they, will, they will get distracted by things in life. They will fall down and, and they just never will be the people that God wants them to be and God is allowing them to be and have the life that God wants them to live. That's how most people live the Christian life, just like that. But Jesus was different, and, and Jesus wasn't just different because because he didn't make any effort. Jesus was different because because he recognized that he needed God's power. What is really interesting is is that Jesus said in John fourteen twelve, very truly I tell you, all who have faith in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. And so we have to recognize there's a disconnect because I don't know many people that are doing greater works than Jesus. And the great disconnect is this. Jesus, while he did work hard and he he tried to live the life that God wanted him to do, he recognized very clearly that without divine power in his life, he could not live the life that he was supposed to live. He could not do the miracles that he was supposed to do. He could not have the abundant life that God had called them, called him to. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 5:19 and 20. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees His Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He does. Yes, and He will show Him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. Jesus was totally reliant on his Father. This is iterated uh, in, in John 5.30 where Jesus says, By myself, I can do nothing. It's almost funny if it wasn't so sad, isn't it? Jesus, right? Jesus. You've heard of him. The greatest man ever to live, even by people who don't believe that that he is Jesus, like we think of him in church, right? The greatest man ever to live. When you get on Google, you look it up. The greatest man ever to live, Jesus knew that He needed divine power. But yet, oftentimes, we live the Christian life like we don't. If we're Christians, and we call ourselves by that name, then we don't just see Jesus as the greatest man ever to live. We see Jesus as the Savior of the world. We believe the words that are in the Bible and and in the miracles He performed and all the great things He did and the perfect life in which He lived. And yet, even then, we still say, I'll accomplish this Christian life. I'll work harder. I'll do better. I'll make a greater effort to be the person that God wants me to be, to live just like Jesus. But this can't happen. If we're going to live the life that, that God wants us to live, a life like Jesus, then, then we have to be like Jesus in recognizing our own inadequacy, in recognizing that we cannot do anything, nothing, apart from, from the power of God in our lives. Now with Jesus, what happened is he recognized this and, and he was drawn to prayer. He was drawn into prayer and, uh, some great guys have some great quotes about the power of prayer and I just would like to read you some of those. Ian Bound said of prayer, no learning can make up for the failure to pray. No earnestness, no diligence, no study, no gifts will supply its lack. W.S. Bode said, prayer is weakness leaning on omnipotence. Watchman Nee said, our prayers lack the track down which God's power can come. Like a mighty locomotive, his power is irresistible, but it cannot reach us without rails. And perhaps most to the point of what I would like you to hear today is Andrew Murray, who said this, many Christians backslide, they are unable to stand against the temptations of the world or of their old nature, They strive to do their best to fight against sin and to serve God, but they have no strength. They have never really grasped the secret the Lord Jesus will every day from heaven continue his work in me, but on one condition. The soul must give him time each day to impart his love and his grace. Time alone with the Lord Jesus each day is the indispensable condition of growth and power. Now these are great quotes, and and I believe that they are great reminders of the fact that if we really recognize our inadequacy and that we cannot live the Christian life alone, then we will call on the power of God in prayer. They are great reminders of that. But the greater reminder is the life of Jesus. And as we strive to live like Jesus, we must recognize that he recognized his, his lack of ability to live the life God had called him to, and he spent time in, pray, in prayer. excuse me. Jesus prayed at night, and he prayed during the day. Jesus prayed in public and He prayed alone and He prayed with just a few disciples. Jesus prayed on a mountain and He prayed in a river and He prayed in a desert and He prayed in the city. Jesus prayed for a long time. Jesus prayed for a short time. Jesus recognized that He needed the power of God in His life. And so He prayed. I'll tell you this. We oftentimes talk about wanting to pray, right? but we make it just another effort thing. We say, well, I need to pray more. And so I will work harder to pray more. But I don't think Jesus was like that. I think he simply said, man, I have a lot to do. I got to heal people. I got to teach people. I got to, I have to be perfect—that's difficult. I, I need to go and die on a cross, and that's going to be really hard. I can't—I can't get mad at people when they start mocking me. I have to be forgiving of them. Uh, I got to die, and then I got to rise again. And man, I can't do this without the power of God because I took on human flesh. And so, out of that, as a response to that, Jesus prayed. He made it his, his a great. He made it a priority in his life, not because he wanted to work harder at it, but because he knew that he needed to do it. Martin Luther is famous for a quote that, uh, that he could have said better, and so I'll say it better. He said, I, I have a lot to do today, and so I need to pray an extra hour. It's a beautiful quote because it, it, it represents what we're talking about. If we recognize the life that God wants us to live and our inadequacy to live that life, then it will draw us to prayer, because prayer is the railroad that brings us the locomotive of God's power. And so what I want you to hear today, what I, what I hope from you, is that you will be serious about this, and you will say, if Jesus needed the power of God in his life, then I need the power of God in my life. And if you will do that, if you will take that seriously and say, man, I just can't live this life well without God's power, then then I would hope that you would recognize and believe me and believe the life of Jesus and say, okay, okay, prayer is the thing that can bring that power into my life. It can give me the power of God that will allow me to live a life like the life of Jesus. And so what I want you to take home from today is simply that. You need the power of God. If Jesus needed it, you need it. And if you really desire it, if you really are serious about the Jesus experiment and living like Jesus, then what needs to happen is you need to spend more time in prayer because you recognize your own inadequacies and your own inabilities to live like God has called you to live. Now, I hope that you will take those two things seriously. I really do. And and I really believe that it will be life-changing. And as I was studying and, and reading uh, from, from the book by the same title as this sermon series this week, it really did alter my prayer life. And uh, I'm pretty consistent about prayer, and I'm, I'm pretty consistent about spending time reading the Bible. And, uh, you know, last week I wasn't because I talked about that in my sermon, It was and it wasn't good for me at all. But this week when I approached the throne of grace, when I prayed to God, uh, with these things in my mind, it was just different. The prayers lasted longer, not because I was trying to time them out or or make sure that I prayed for everything, simply because I said, hey, man, God, I need your power, and, and these people need your power, and so here I am, asking you for that power and coming to you and asking for your grace to fill us up. It was a really neat experience, and so I hope that you will take it seriously as well, and I hope that you will be drawn to prayer because you're recognizing your inadequacies, and I believe that it will change your life. But for the rest of our time today, uh, what I want to do is focus on one specific aspect of Jesus' prayer life that I believe will turn your willingness to pray into actual prayers. It will take you from being a person who says, yes, I need the power of God, and so I need to pray, to being a person who actually prays. Now, there are many uh, great resources out there uh, that detail kind of Jesus' prayer life, uh, Chapter three of the Jesus Experiment, which I hope you are reading along with this sermon series, uh, is is one of those. He details Bill Perkins details some of uh, of the uh, of the aspects of Jesus' prayer life, and there's some good ones there. On my sermon notes, which you can get on 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 Version Live, which we have here every Sunday through your your phone or or your computer or whatever, um, my sermon notes have some links to some great resources that detail many aspects of Jesus' prayer life. But today, uh, just one. I just want to focus in on, on one aspect. And, uh, I think this aspect alone is important. Uh, and I think that it, that it was radical, uh, for Jesus to, to be like this and to think this way. So, uh, let me read you the first words that are recorded for us in the Bible that Jesus ever spoke. Luke 2.49, uh, Jesus' parents have been looking for him. They lost him. And they look for him, and then they find him. And in Luke 2.49, this is what Jesus says to them after they found him. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my Father's house? In Luke 23.46, we read the last words of Jesus' pre-resurrection life, right before he dies on the cross. And there Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And Luke adds to this when he said this, he breathed his last. Notice the common denominator between these two verses. It's one word, and the word is Father. In the prayer life in between Jesus' first words and last words, we see that he consistently prays, and he prays to his Father. In John 17, one of Jesus' most famous prayers, he begins by saying, Father, the hour has come. Now, one might think that this is normal, because a lot of times Christians today begin prayers this way, right? I mean, I say Heavenly Father, Dear Father, and you probably do too. And something of that sort is pretty normal in in Christian circles. But when Jesus came on the scene, it actually wasn't normal. This was not the normal way to pray. And so when Jesus cries out, Father, which is uh, the Hebrew word Abba, He is doing something different and He's doing something new. Uh, One author says this, Jesus did introduce radical changes, talking about prayer. He not only personalized the formal prayers and extended their length, he revolutionized man's approach to God by introducing an incredibly intimate filial note. Jesus prayed to Abba Father rather than Lord of heaven and earth. The same author goes on to say, the profound shift that Jesus brought to Jewish piety was to make the Abba, which means dad or papa, the normative. One might argue that Jesus had every right to pray like this because in a a very literal sense, God was his Father, right? But what is fascinating is that Jesus didn't just pray like this. He actually taught his disciples to pray the same way. If you were to look at Matthew 6, 6 through 9, which is part of Jesus' most famous teaching on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, you would read what I'm about to read to you, and I want you to notice how many times he says the word Father when he's teaching his disciples to pray. You can count them. right? Ready? But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on bag- babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. How many times? Brandon Gray is giving me four. Is that a correct answer? Were you paying attention? Four is correct. In four verses, Jesus uses the word Father four times when he's teaching his disciples to pray. Again, in the Old Testament, for the Pharisees and the religious leaders at the time, it came out like our God in heaven or something of the sorts. But Jesus is praying to his Father, his Abba, and he is teaching his disciples to do the same. Paul explains why this is possible for us as mere human beings. Using the intimate Abba, Paul says in Romans 8, 15, and 16, The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Paul says the reason that we can pray to our God as Father is because when we accept the gift of salvation that Jesus offers us through his death and resurrection, we become God's adopted children. And so we have the right to all of a sudden, not just pray, hey, God of the universe, but to pray, hey, Father, hey, Papa, I need your power right now. Paul strengthens this in Galatians 4, 6, where he says, because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. The Spirit of God who calls out Abba Father. Notice that. Not only do we have the right to call out Abba Father to God, but we have the Spirit of Jesus who has come upon us when we accept Him as our Savior and therefore He is He is in us, He is causing us to cry out to God, Abba Father. For Christian people, this should be normal. For us to look at God and say, Hey, I need you like we need our dads on this earth. Now at this point, it would be fair for people to say, how does this turn my my desire to pray into real prayer? And for some, this connection uh, makes no sense because they haven't had a very good daddy, maybe a horrible daddy, in fact. I mean, you may be one of these people. You may be a person uh, who has had your dad leave you, and so they weren't around. And you say, well... <laughs> And so when I pray to a father, I'm praying to somebody who isn't there. Or perhaps you're uh, a person who had a dad who was around but hardly paid attention to you. And so you're going, when I pray to a father, it's like this guy that's just busy watching TV and going to work. And and that doesn't make a lot of sense. He's not going to answer me anyway. Or perhaps you're a person uh, whose, whose dad was an alcoholic and he embarrassed you. And so you're thinking, man... I want to try to avoid that. I mean, if I have to have a conversation with a the guy, then then that's that's embarrassing. Or perhaps your dad was abusive, and so you say, man, if I if I try to talk to somebody like that, then, then what if I say something wrong? And and what if I mess up? He's just just gonna get angry with me, and and I don't want to go through that. And so for for many in our country today, this this term father is not something that that draws them to prayer. In fact, it might be something that that makes them avoid prayer or run away from prayer. But but you know, just as the simile "He runs like a deer" shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be removed or taken away from our vernacular because a deer has a broken leg, neither should the reference to God as Father be taken away or, or lessened because there are broken fathers in our country. When we read that God is our Father and that we should pray to Him in that way, uh, what we need to be hearing is that God is a Father the way that fathers should be fathers. He is loving. He is kind. He is caring. He knows what we need before we ask him. He, he he wants to have a conversation with us. He isn't up there rooting against us going, hey, I hope that you figure out how to pray and all that because I'm waiting to zap you. He's up there saying, hey, I want to have this relationship with you and I want to provide you with this power and I want to to be intimate with you and and show you my love and give you the things that you need so that you can be all that you have been called to be so that you can get out of the door and walk into abundant life and live this life that is beautiful and powerful and wonderful Beyond anything that you can ever imagine. I look at my dad, and you've heard me say this before. I've been blessed with the best dad that I could have have ever asked for. And, and you know, I, I don't have a perfect family life or anything like that. But but God did give me a good dad. And the truth is, it's been easier for me to understand God as Father because of that. Because I know my relationship with my dad, who and that relationship continues to this day. My dad, uh, he likes it when I call him. You know, I mean. He looks forward to that, and and if I haven't called him for a few days, there's he, he gives me a hard time. But really, you can tell he's sad because he misses me. And uh, and my dad cares about me. And and when I approach my dad, if, if it's possible for him to help me, and if it's best for me, then then you know what, my dad wants to give me that help. And my dad my dad cares enough about me to to call me out when my life isn't what it should be, or if it needs to change. And and so when we, when we When we picture our God as father, we we need not picture the broken fathers of the world because there are a lot of them, right? But, But we need to picture the best father that we can picture. And we need to recognize that when God says, hey, pray to me like this, Abba, Father, what he's saying is pray to me with an intimacy that recognizes that I love you and care about you and want to answer those prayers with a yes. If we just say, I know I need God's power, and I want to pray, but we don't picture God as a loving being who intimately desires to give us that power and care about us, then we're going to stop at step two and we'll say, man, I'd love to pray more and that'd be great, but I'm not really sure it's going to work out. But if we'll say, hey, man, that God in heaven is not just some God in heaven. He's not some distant deity, but he's my heavenly father. We will be drawn to our knees if we can recognize that he is a good father because we will recognize that he wants to give us power and that he deeply cares about us. Brennan and I watched a movie Friday night, and in the opening scene, there's a little girl who wakes her dad up and, and drags him out of bed, and uh, it's just after dawn, and so the dad, you know, rubbing his eyes, doesn't want to get out of bed, and uh, but he does it anyway, and, and she grabs his hand, and she lead, leads him up into the attic, and you can tell this is a, a ritual. They make that clear, and so they go up to the window, and the window's foggy from condensation, and and so he writes I wish on there and you could tell this is just part of a morning routine that they have and he writes I wish and then he he gives a wish and and the little girl then you know writes I wish and and then she says I wish that Betty Sue or whatever her name was would get hit by a bus and die. And uh and so the dad says, "Well, I thought you and Betty Sue were friends." And and the little girl says, uh, well, I I don't want to be her friend anymore. And, and the dad pulls her up on his lap and he says, hey, you can't just get rid of friends like that. And they sit there and the girl's on his lap and, and it fades out with kind of a laughing, intimate moment between these two. You see, that little girl needed her dad's help. She needed her dad's help to understand friendship. She needed her dad's help to to know how to live life. She needed her dad's help to know what was right and wrong to wish for in her life. And and the truth is, at some point, that little girl even needed her dad's help to be able to take steps without falling down. And the truth is, in our lives, we need our Heavenly Father's power if we are going to take steps forward in living for Jesus. Because if we don't have His guiding hand, then we will not be people who get out the door and run into abundant life, but we will be people who fall down and go limp at every distraction. And so my encouragement for you today is to recognize that you need God's power in your life. If Jesus needed it, you needed it. And recognize that the thing that brings that power is prayer. And be drawn to your knees knowing that when you pray, you don't just pray to some distant deity, but you pray to your Heavenly Father who loves and cares about you intimately. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for caring about us. You didn't have to, God. You didn't have to desire a relationship with us the way you do. You don't have to want to give us power, Lord. But you do because of your grace and your mercy and your goodness and your kindness, Lord. I pray, Father, that we would be people who are not arrogant enough to think that we can live the Christian life alone. I pray that we would not be people who say, if I simply strive harder, if I try more, then I'll live like Jesus. But we would be people like Jesus who recognize our need for your power. And I pray, God, that we would understand that that power will come through prayer. And I pray, God, that we, like Jesus, would be drawn to prayer because we we want your power, we want your desire, and we recognize that there is more to this life than probably what we are living. God, you tell us that we can do greater works even than you, but we don't see that and we want that, God. And Lord, I just admit that I don't see it in my life. And I don't think we've seen it in this church because we have not come to you in prayer asking for that power, Lord. God, I pray For all of us in the room, no matter what kind of earthly dad we have, we would recognize that when we pray, it isn't some boring, dull thing, but it's a loving and intimate relationship with You because You have adopted us as Your children. Whether we have ever been wanted on this earth or not, God, You wanted us enough to die on a cross and save us from our sins so that we could be adopted as Your sons and we can cry out, Lord, Abba Father. Pray these things. In your name, amen.